Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Hello, everyone. So glad you're joining us today, which is November 28th, 2018. Boy, this year is really drawing to a close quickly. I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. We're going to be talking about a very timely subject matter, and I'm really privileged to have Scott Stevens back with us on our show. It's been a couple of years, but his message is so very important, and we have an awful lot to cover, so we will just get right into it. A little background, Steve's a journalist. He posts regularly on health and alcohol issues for online news services, and he has stellar credentials when it comes to talking to people about alcoholism and life-changing sobriety tips. Welcome aboard, Steve. Oh, thank you, Denise. It's a pleasure to be on your program again, and uh, and uh, definitely a, a great big hello to your audience. It's been a while, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Why don't you give our listeners just a little bit of background on you, uh, what got you started in your profession, and the reasons why? Sure. Well, my uh, my background... Um, once upon a time, I was a, a TV journalist, and then I got a real job. I started working in marketing, and that career took off, and along with it, so did uh, my relationship with alcohol. I had my, mm-hmm. my first drink way back when I was 14, but I, I, I'd say I'm a late bloomer. I didn't start mm-hmm. uh, drinking alcoholically until I was in my mid-30s, and alcohol stopped being my friend. Uh, a, very, mm-hmm. a, a very strange collision of life circumstances led to me drinking more and more and uh suddenly well not quite so suddenly but uh it eventually led to a a habit that was near or over 2 liters of Jack Daniels every day just to keep me um functioning i was still uh carrying on a marketing career in the mutual fund business so i i wouldn't say I had my A game by any stretch of the imagination. There's no such thing as a functioning alcoholic, really, because mm-hmm. nobody is truly functioning when they're under the influence of this or any other drug. But uh, once I, uh, once it almost killed me, not once but twice, um, oh. I, I came around to studying more about this drug, uh, especially relapse and recovery and meaningful sobriety, um, because I had struggled with it so much. I'd relapsed and I wanted to know why. I mean, I, I'm a reasonably well-educated guy and, mm-hmm. uh, I, I just couldn't figure out 
why can't I kick this thing? And I studied more about the, the drug and a lot of the evidence-based research about the drug alcohol and what it does to ordinarily healthy human tissues. And uh, it, that led to, boy, I just, just released my fifth book uh, this past summer, uh, with uh, the first book being about the differences between treatment and mistreatment. The second book, uh, which has won a number of awards, is called Every Silver Lining Has a Cloud. That one is on relapse and using my own story throughout it, but with a lot of scientific evidence as well. My third book deals with the stigma of alcoholism, that is adding fire to the fuel. I released a medical, uh, kind of like a doctor's office, quick read about the health consequences of alcohol after that, and that book was called I Can't See the Forest with All These Damn Trees in the Way. Quite a long mm-hmm. title, wouldn't fit around a golf ball or on a business card, but it does look pretty mm-hmm. nice on a book cover. And mm-hmm. uh, my new book is uh, Look What Dragged the Cat In, and that deals with the rise of the opioid crisis that we are mired in here in the United States. And I, I released that in August, uh, along with uh, an appearance at the Addiction Therapy 2018 conference in Paris, France, and followed that with uh, conferences in London and Amsterdam to the medical and psychology and addiction science crowd to uh, release my latest research, which uh, ties in a direct line the opioid crisis we're mired in today to this country's love affair with our number one most lethal drug, alcohol. Hmm. Why don't you um, tell us a little bit about that? Well, if... uh, if you'll indulge me here a minute, it's it's a, a story worth telling, and it's a story worth digging into. The gut reaction says, the gut reaction says, the medical profession is to blame for this because doctors were overprescribing, or the pharmaceutical industry was responsible for this because of their misleading information that they gave to the doctors regarding the uh, highly addictive nature of OxyContin and other uh, prescription opioids. And then if you dig a little deeper, you see that, well, okay, well, the Chinese are responsible because they're shipping us cheap fentanyl, which is being, uh, which street heroin is laced with. So that's where a Mm -hmm. lot of the deaths are. I do not necessarily the prescription opiates, but all of these are aberrato responses. After the fact, we are cleaning up what the cat dragged in. Well, what dragged the cat in? And when you look at statistically, two thirds of illicit drug users use as their first drug alcohol. You've just solved part of the riddle here. Two-thirds of us use alcohol before using any other illicit drug. This is wow. the gateway drug. And then, so not marijuana, huh? It, no, 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 no. I mean, certainly that does have its its own casualties along the path mm-hmm. here, and there are many pro-marijuana factions that would uh, would like to crucify me for that statement. But you know what? Mm-hmm. It, it is what it is on the on the marijuana side. What I'm writing here about is alcohol's use or uh, okay. introduction as a gateway drug. And it is for two-thirds of people who use illicit drugs. So the other third, this is this is the drug we are groomed on. 
we are trained to take drugs from a very early age because it is so societally acceptable here in the United States, whether it's in our community or even in our very own homes, that we don't view it as a drug. We view it as socially and culturally acceptable, that it's a rite of passage or it's a part of celebration, when in fact it is our most lethal drug of, uh, of choice in the United States killing more than 90,000 people every year. And that's beyond the disease of addiction, beyond cirrhosis of the liver or car wrecks. It's, mm. uh, it's a carcinogen. And, uh, you know, and I believe that 90,000 number is quite low. It's very underestimated, for one, mm-hmm. because uh, a lot of those causes of death um, may not be accurately reported. Say, for example, uh, a senior citizen polishes off a bottle of wine and falls on the stairs and, and passes away. The cause of death would be the fall. Well, the real cause of death, of course, would be the alcohol that led to the fall. So and the, there, there's a lot of uh, detail in the numbers in that, and I cover that in, in my, my first mm-hmm. four books. But mm-hmm. getting into this uh, last book here uh, on how we are groomed to take this, the age of first use in the United States is age 12. That is the age of first drinking. And that's pretty alarming. You know, mm-hmm. Considering that you're, you're nine years away from even buying it legally or being served it legally in every mm-hmm. state in this country. Mm-hmm. So you have age of 12 being the age of first use. But the, the shocking statistic that I came across while researching this book was that people as young as nine years old we're talking fourth graders here. These kids are exposed to alcohol advertising at an alarming rate where to the point where three out of four can name with unaided recall, at least one brand of beer and another 30% can name five brands of beer or alcohol at age nine. This is, these are our fourth graders. So uh. looking at looking at the the messaging all along the way, we are are told that this drug is sexy. It is harmless. It doesn't have consequences unless yeah, uh-huh. the wheel. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's glamorous, and the the glamour when you when you strip away all the fancy TV commercials and all the the attractive people that they have in those ads, which who probably aren't drinking anyway, um, when you get down to it, we are grooming the next generation of drinkers long before they're able to drink. And that is how the other one-third, you know, we had two-thirds using alcohol as their gateway drug, and the rest of us have been groomed from early on to take drugs. So what did we think was going to happen? We, we have crisis after crisis in the United States of drugs. Um, you know, we, we can look at the current one, of course, the opioid crisis. We can look at the epidemics. It is spawning already in benzodiazepines um, and also methamphetamine is coming back as a result of the opioid crisis. And I could dive into that a little bit later. But the before this, in the 90s, it was methamphetamine that was very popular. How did we get there? Well, it wasn't because of meth dealers and people across the, the Mexican border in makeshift meth labs cranking out the stuff faster than McDonald's pumps out hamburgers. It is because we are groomed to take drugs. We want to take something that is going to get us somewhere other than where we are right now. 
And if alcohol isn't doing it, we're going to up our game. It's plain and simple. Mm. Um, whether it's the disease of addiction that far or just an escape, because people don't take drugs to feel good. People take mm-hmm. drugs to feel less bad. And that is how we get into this self-prescribing. We've always we've learned that, hey, if one beer didn't get you there, you have a second one. That's mm-hmm. how we, we got into this mode of self, self-prescribing. self when, uh, when I cover my holiday tips here, that's another big one, self-prescribing. But uh, can, can uh, carry on just a little bit more on this story about how we get into these drug cycles. In the 90s, it was meth. In the 80s, it was coke and crack. In the early 70s, late 60s, heroin. In the 50s, amphetamines. In the 1920s, it was heroin. And in the 1860s, even going back that far, it was morphine. And in each case, it is because it was a straight line from our use of alcohol or the availability of alcohol to these different drugs or cycles of crises that we're we're involved in. So this latest one is not a surprise. It's not the pharmaceutical company's fault, although their hands are not clean. I'll give you that. And uh, and uh, by the way, I'm not diminishing the tragedy that is involved with any one of these young lives who are lost. But the pharmaceutical companies didn't do this to us. The pharmaceutical companies, in fact, gave us exactly what we asked them to give us. And that is something yeah. to relieve chronic pain. And then yeah. were the were the doctors off the hook? Absolutely not. I mean, there are there are sketchy doctors just like there are sketchy people in any profession, and there are people who overprescribed, and uh, as a result, you know, some of them are being jailed, some of them are being prosecuted, and the those few have put a black eye on the medical profession, but they're not to blame either. The the blame for the the part of the blame game anyway. Of, of clean, instead of looking at the mess that the cat dragged in, look at what mm-hmm. dragged the cat in, and that is where we begin with the dialogue about alcohol. And the the book doesn't just look at okay, this this is what caused it. It also looks at the solutions to the the current crisis and minimizing or reducing the number of crises that will follow this one, and they will follow. I just have a a question. Let's sure. say there's there's ten people, and each one of them mm-hmm. they start out with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the percentage is of people that have a predisposition to addiction? Yes, it so is about twelve percent. Mm-hmm. Oh, the the gen, the genetic uh, makeup, the the mm-hmm. genetic background for this disease is it, that's twelve or twelve percent. So. You're, you're looking at slightly over one person out of that 10 or 12 okay. out of 100. Who, and okay. now that, that if you're born with that genetic package, um, nobody ever becomes alcoholic without taking the first drink. What I think we're, we're, our message here is that we got to delay as long as possible taking that first drink. Because I am not in favor of prohibition whatsoever. Um, I am in favor of education, and we got to begin like we do with tobacco and talking to these kids at, at kindergarten age or before mm-hmm. about the harms mm-hmm. of drinking, not the glamour, just like we did with, with tobacco. But, mm-hmm. you know, here's, here's the tricky thing, Denise. 
some of us are born with this genetic package, but we can drink our way into this as well because alcohol is a toxin, so toxic that it can alter your DNA. So you can drink your way into this disease as bit, every bit as much as being born with a genetic package that is going to... Oh, I didn't to, know that. Uh, yes, it, it, is, uh, it is that toxic where uh, it, it can physically change the structure of your DNA. And mm. this, uh, this is recent research. Uh, in fact, it came up between my last interview with you and this one that, yes. uh, you know, the human genome project has been spectacularly mind boggling mm. in the way it has looked at chromosomes and our makeup and linking defects in specific chromosomes in this case 4q and 11 that are common markers throughout uh, people who have the disease of alcoholism so you can be born that way or you can drink your your can damage your own dna to the point where you have this uh this possibility of getting the disease of addiction and you know it is it's a very very powerful toxin and it is a known carcinogen. It's on the National Institutes of Health list of known human carcinogens, not just in mice or rats, but in us. And it's directly linked to eight different types of cancer, including, well, if you just follow the path that goes through the body here, you know, it's number two cause of oral cancers, uh, throat, esophagus, stomach, liver, pancreas, colon. And for the ladies, it is the only dietary connection ever made to an increased risk of breast cancer. So, and, and that, mm-hmm. and that tie-in is especially, and and this is the connection here between the DNA changes. The the younger a woman starts to drink between the age of her first period and her first pregnancy, the the closer it is to her first period, the higher the risk, because you are altering the genes in the breast tissue to make them more susceptible to cancerous growth. So mm. as a result, you know, the, in, for all women who are, who are uh, of any age, yeah, the risk is there. A uh, glass of wine or a glass of alcohol a day is going to increase your risk by double digits, and uh, four drinks a day is going to increase the risk as much as smoking a whole pack of cigarettes at any age. But the, that early onset, that early onset of drinking is the, the part where it's the, the connection to the DNA damage is most evident in that the breast tissue is still forming when you're a young lady. And mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. when it's still forming, just like our brains, I mean, we, we say we pickled our brains in our, in our teenage mis, uh, misadventures, but you know, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's not, Far from the truth, because it causes genetic changes in the prefrontal cortex of your brain, that part responsible for brilliant judgment and uh, also you know, rage and a few of the other things that we associate with uh, not good outcomes from drinking. No, not at all. <laughs> wow. So the uh, the new book covers in detail the, the connection here between the opioid good. crisis and gives give solutions it looks at uh, at how we've made progress with smoking education you know the year i was born 1967 72% of the adult males in this country smoked and today only 14% smoke and that is because we've changed the dialogue. We, talk, we mm-hmm. talk now about what smoking does to you rather than what you think it does for you. And so we're, we're, we have de-glamorized 
the smoking. We've made it uh, an education message all the way down to kindergarten to say, hey, look, this is not something that makes you cool, hip, or sexy. This is something that really is going to cause lifetime problems. And it's the same with alcohol. Alcohols are mm-hmm. our number two costliest cause of death. Number one mm-hmm. isn't alcohol or isn't smoking. Number uh, smoking is number six, only because the the trail is such a longer one with with uh, alcohol, in that it can cause lifetime problems rather than uh, something with smoking, which may lead to cancer and uh, unfortunately a quick death for many people who suffer from cancer. But the connection with uh, alcohol and cancer and sixty other diseases make this the number two costliest preventable cause of death we have Mm. but number two yet only 20 percent of our kindergartners know that or are are given this messaging on alcohol while 80 percent are given that messaging on smoking which is number six on the list so uh the dialogue has started to change and needs to continue to change if we're going to, as this book points out, change the cycle of addiction in this country, but also looking at uh, other dialogues that we have here, the talk about health care accessibility, health care costs, when 20 to 40 percent of general use hospital beds are going to treat alcohol-related complications, hey, there's a cost driver for our health care system and the Mm -hmm. amount for sure. So it ties into a lot of different conversations, which I've had over the years in, in any one of the books, but this one directly impacts the, the blame game that's going on with opioids right now. Yeah, I th- I, one of the things that's um, concerning in California, uh, you know, marijuana has pretty much been legalized. And mm-hmm. Society isn't treating it the same as alcohol. So, in other words, people that drive that get DUIs have very severe penalties. But people that drive that are on marijuana currently, I don't believe that's the case. Well, it's beginning to be part of the case that we're seeing in Colorado. A lot of people point to Colorado as a success story for the legalization of recreational marijuana, which I'm on the record as being very much opposed to, not just from the standpoint of public safety and public health. Yes, it may be safer to use than alcohol from some perspective. However, you're still driving impaired. The number of impaired driving accidents involving marijuana has increased faster in Colorado than it has with the driving impaired accidents with alcohol. So Mm -hmm. this isn't really a success story after all. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of what has been positioned as a success story for uh, legalization of recreational use of marijuana is the tax benefit. But when you look at the increased cost of health care and the increasing ER visits as a result of smoking too much too fast, I that well, this is also a healthcare. Too. This is also a healthcare cost driver, where where it's not the big economic boon if we're spending money faster than we're taking it in. Well, no, the only people that are benefiting financially are the are the individuals that you know that sell it. <laughs> in in, in yeah. all my talks, 
the only people who have been in favor of legalizing recreational marijuana are those who stand to gain economically from its legalization That's or right. those who just want to smoke it and not get busted. Mm-hmm. Those, those are your supporters right there. Uh, there is there, you know a, how, is there a you know personal how use? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. But you know how early, early you were talking about, um, you know, the opiate and how um, they're mixing it with mm-hmm. other very dangerous drugs. That sure. is now starting to happen with marijuana. I just heard about it the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's be been a, a phenomenon that, that's uh, jumped in and out of fashion over the past uh, three decades in the 80s. Uh, some strains of marijuana were were opiated. Uh, mm-hmm. opiated tie so it was uh, there was a smidge of opiates in there but you know today with the cheapness or the inexpensive fentanyl that's available today coming fentanyl, in yeah. through the weakest part of the United States border is our post office that is how China was able to ship so much fentanyl into the United States through the US mail but oh, it's here wow. And, you know, th- this is what has led to just such a dramatic spike in opioid-related deaths. It isn't the, the pills. It's the, what comes after the pills if people can't get a cheap or reliable supply of, of mm-hmm. prescription medication. They're turning to the streets and buying heroin, which you've got no guarantees, none whatsoever. And uh, mm-hmm. when it's laced by unscrupulous dealers with fentanyl or other chemicals, you're you're rolling the dice here, and that's mm-hmm. uh, I mean that that is really the tragic the most tragic part in all of this is that there are people who are you know, the disease of addiction is is it is, is one that convinces you you don't have it or you're not going to be the next victim you're not going to be the next statistic or the next fatality you just want to feed that addiction because you want to feel less bad and withdrawal on any drug is a bear it is it, people will do anything to avoid withdrawal so they'll go to the street drug the heroin and unknowingly get the dose that is going to end their lives and that that is really uh it's an eye opening part of the tragedy it's an eye opening part of our of our overall societal acceptance of drugs because we we've groomed us for medicating self medicating all along mhm this mm-hmm. was just this was just the next incarnation of it Ugh. well so what are what are our solutions well, the uh, the solution in the case of the opioids, as I put it in the book, is is look. Uh, I, I go on for a couple of chapters about this. Look at the success of the smoking anti-smoking campaign. But for the for the here and now, when we look at yeah, here and now, the, the the 63 days between Halloween and New Year's Day. I mean, this is the trickiest gauntlet that anybody who has a, a relationship with any drug is going to mm-hmm. going to struggle the most with and if you're looking to back off if you're looking to get away from the the drug taking at this time of year whether it's alcohol whether it's other party drugs or club drugs or mm-hmm. it's uh 
serious addiction to any of the the high potency pain pills that are out there you know there there are steps we can take um, in addition to going to treatment of course I'm a big advocate of treatment not just because I used to work in the industry but be- and because I speak at so many treatment centers but because it worked for me and it's not going to work for everyone it doesn't always work the first time but that doesn't mean you quit or you give mm-hmm. up on it rather but in the in the meantime here if anybody is struggling through the holidays and looking at the 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 old habit of self-medicating um i've i've written an article on this um uh, it can be found at uh, bitly/dryholiday it's on my blog and uh certainly will share that with you after the program so you can put it out there as well um <coughs> excuse me um, you know, mm-hmm. the, there are relapse traps for people who are newly sober or even a long time sober that pop mm-hmm. up during that 63 days between Halloween and New Year's Day. Uh, <laughs> a funny little sidebar, which is not funny at all. They've mm-hmm. uh, we've we have Black Friday now we have yes. Blackout Wednesday because of the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, all the college kids come home and they drink to oblivion oh, right. the day before that's Thanksgiving. Right. So, uh, I heard that term and I said, that's funny, but it's not funny. I mean, it, it's right. it's ridiculous, but that's that's what we do. That's how we mm-hmm. roll. But mm-hmm. instead of that, um, you know, some of the suggestions that I, that I like to make to people is stay out of your medicine chest. Uh, first of all, because it's cough and cold season and it's especially easy to overdo the cough meds because well yeah i took one capful and i didn't quite get the relief so i'll take a second capful or it hasn't been quite four hours but i'm going for it anyway because i feel like garbage Um, the dosage on the label is not just a suggestion and that is the the key here don't don't self-prescribe like we've been taught with alcohol. And that little buzz from an OD of an over-the-counter drug can lead right back to the drug of choice, whether it's alcohol or any other drug. And another reason to stay out of your medicine chest during this, this time of year is sleep aids. Boy, we're all burning it at both ends. Shop this, buy this, Cyber Monday, that. Um, yeah, it, the time change is a bear for some people. It is for me. Uh, extra holiday season stress and, and sleep tends to be the casualty of this. And somehow we've positioned alcohol as being a, a great sedative. And it is, except it robs, your, robs you of your REM sleep later on. Well, you might say, well, I just I won't drink alcohol, but I'll, I'll pop a sleeping pill. Uh, whether any one of the over-the-counter ones. It doesn't have to be Roseanne Barr's favorite one, the Ambien, which apparently makes you dumb, but it can be any of the over-the-counter sleep concoctions. <laughs> yeah, makes you say really dumb stuff. Uh, oh, but, funny. Uh, you know, over-the-counter concoctions like Motrin PM or Tylenol PM, those things, uh, again, mm. they're sedatives. Their central nervous system depressants, and so is alcohol. So it's a it's a very quick trip back to uh, the slippery slope of illicit and illicit drugs that you might find yourself in over the holiday season. Uh, a couple of other things I like to like to talk about at, at the holiday season is not every celebration is a is a knockdown, drag out drinking event. I mean, there are sober mm-hmm. celebrations. Mm-hmm. 
situations, and they're not really as rare as you as you might think. And and, and if you're shy about going to something like this, take somebody with you, drag somebody along. Uh, and if there aren't any celebrations, make one or pick a theater. I, well, unfortunately, a lot of theaters sell booze or at least beer yeah. these days. But, <laughs> oh gosh. You know, go. Go watch it. Go watch uh, Creed Two or one of the other new movies that are out there. At least take your mind off of it. One of the things I learned in early sobriety is if you can take your mind off of a craving or, or a, a gut reaction to go for the drink for 20 minutes, then you're good. You, you've you've staved off. You've made progress here, rather than going back to the knee-jerk reaction of being a jerk. Uh, yeah, you could also bail out. If if there's if there's nothing in the world wrong with saying no, and if you're if you're at a party um, and you turn down a drink, you don't have to have a reason for that, or turn down a drug or turn down a a, a blunt or bong hit or whatever. There's no there's nothing wrong with the word no. And I, right. I I at the time I was pretty creative with my excuses for my drinking, and you know you might have to be creative for an excuse not to drink or you don't even have to answer that it you know it, it's is it worth challenging your sobriety at the end of the day no it's not because sobriety is a really really tough battle especially in those first few months and especially during this holiday season mm-hmm. um how about bringing some candy that's another one i like to like to bring up you know, satisfying an oral fixation like that with candy can make a difference. And, you know, the, the taste on your palate, if you have a mint and drink a beer, boy, that's a bad taste in your mouth and you'll know it. Uh-huh. So you might not, so you might not be as interested in having then another uh, two or three or six beers after that. That's a good idea. And, you know, I, my grandma used to say, uh, nothing good ever happens after, after 10 p.m. And that would be a good rule of thumb for a holiday party. Don't don't overstay. It, it, mm-hmm. If it's time to go, if you're feeling uncomfortable about the drinking around you, uh, that'd be one reason. But why push it? I mean, the the idea is to protect a, a new sobriety or an early sobriety or even a quite lengthy one. And one of the ways to do it is get the heck out of there because mm-hmm. uh, you know many many. <laughs> dreadful mornings after people said it, I should have left way earlier. Well, uh, leave early. Yes. yes, that's so true. But that uh, that article at Bitly slash Dry Holiday is something I'll share with you for your listeners, and that takes that's a direct link to my blog and my website, alcohologist dot com. Okay, great. Uh, we'll we'll definitely get that link and post it on our Twitter account. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's such a uh, tricky time of year. Um, and I, and I look at my experience drinking uh, Thanksgiving in particular was like a, a really bad experience in my life. Just some life events that happened around on or around Thanksgiving so, I mean, th- this is a trigger-loaded season. 
Mm-hmm. For me, mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. For some people, it's amateur night, also known as New Year's Eve, or, oh, I, I must ring in the New Year, and these other outdated notions of how we do that uh, with champagne or other cocktails or beverages. Uh, yeah, the, the triggers are out there, and... You know, just because I or anyone else stops drinking doesn't mean the world is going to stop manufacturing the stuff. This is this is the most popular drug we have, and it's going mm-hmm. to continue mm-hmm. to be that way. And so we we change the dialogue. But in the meantime, be prepared because it's all around us, and these these triggers are, are nothing to take lightly. Um, here I've I've got eight years of my sobriety behind me, and still I. I I, I go I go to fun things like concerts and events and stuff like mm-hmm. that where there is drinking, um, and I I don't push it. If, if I'm uncomfortable, I'm out of there. And as far as fast as the the old Buick starts up, I'm I'm gone. But in mm-hmm. the meantime, just being diligent about the work that uh, that I've put into it for these past eight years, and whether it's eight years or eight hours, it's still just takes one drink. It's kind of like fighting terrorism. It only takes one person getting through to mm-hmm. ruin everything that you put in, in place to fight terrorism. Well, it's the same mm-hmm. with fighting off addiction. It just takes one. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a lifelong challenge. There's no question about that. Definitely during the holidays, though, so many triggers, Denise. And, and when I when I look at, I speak at a lot of victim impact panels, which address uh, first and second offenders for their DUIs. And man, they're packed in February and March because of people who said, oh. uh, I, I just overdid it or I wasn't thinking. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the mixture of gasoline and alcohol is a pretty bad idea, as we've already established with Mothers mm-hmm. Against Drunk Drivers. But in general, I mean, this is the time of year when, when uh, people tend to push their limits or push the legal limits. What are the statistics now on DUIs? Um, have they gone down? They've plateaued, and that's generally been the case for the last three years. There's been modest fluctuation up or down, but we're around, we're between ten and 11,000 of traffic fatalities being alcohol-related, So, and that's still... About a third, there uh, a third are alcohol related. That number has gone down dramatically since the early '80s, when Mothers Against Drunk Drivers made mm-hmm. the made the name for themselves. But mm-hmm. here we are, uh, four decades later, and we're we're at a standstill. We have the technology to put in vehicles to make. Um, you know, this, oh, so the, so all, they won't start. Right. I mean, this is. By and large, this is a 100% preventable phenomenon because uh, you, nobody has to drink and drive. And you're not a better driver because of it. Yeah, we, we know all of this stuff, but we have the technology to put in vehicles today. Standard safety equipment, like we have standard airbags, we have standardized and made mandatory seat belts. Well, there are uh, passive ignition systems that we can put in every vehicle made in the United States or sold in the United States, which does a skin reading on the driver, whether it's embedded in the steering wheel. And they've been working on this technology since 2010. 
there's a lot of opposition from tavern leagues and restaurants and, of course, oh. the beverage alcohol industry to do something like this. But no vehicle would start. And mm-hmm. so this has become a 100% preventable thing. Uh, also, you, you, you look at the, the measures that have been put in place in a number of states, stricter penalties. We've, we've kind of gone as far as we can with that mm. because you can't lock up somebody forever. And if there's not a treatment component, if there's a mistreatment component, you're only setting somebody out to, to fail at this again and put other people at risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the legislative solutions to this um, now on the table are lowering the blood alcohol concentration, the legal limit for driving from 0.08 down to something lower, 0.05, 0.02 is uh, is what is in place in a lot of European countries with lower uh, lower death rates from intoxicated driving. When and when you look at it. Impairment begins at 0.02 with the first drink. Okay. 0.08 is a political compromise. This was something uh, that you know, 0.02 or 0.05 is unpalatable to people who make a living off of selling this drug, whether it's mm-hmm. a restaurant. I mean, what is the most rev- what is the biggest revenue generator at restaurants? It ain't the prime rib. It ain't the potatoes. It's the booze. So is the markup on there, that's where they're making their money. If people are going to get in their car and their car won't start, well, then they're not going to have the highest markup item on the menu. And the beverage alcohol industry obviously has some skin in the game as well. And that that is something that they're not going to be in favor of. If, If we're pitching drinking responsibility as if there was a responsible way to drink a toxin and known carcinogen, but if we're pitching drinking responsibility, or responsibly, then if we set the bar at 0.02, then we've cut down on what happens to that message. It could happen at some point. I mean, there's so many driving mm-hmm. services now. Uber you know, the and, Ubers and, and Lyft, and, Lyft mm-hmm. and, and all of those that, you know, stroke of the finger on the cell phone will bring you someone. Yeah, and you know there there really isn't a, a reason to get behind that, uh, and I, I could say that from bad experience. I got four mm-hmm. OWIs in six weeks, and not a single one of them was under point three four eight. I, I say that not as bragging points, but that was at a different time when the the legal system uh, just brought me in, booked me, and released me. Didn't release me mm-hmm. back to my own car, but. I, and I could, if I wanted to, get out the next day and do it. And it's a different legal environment now. But um, it, you know, these days there's even less of an excuse because I can call, like you say, the Ubers and the Lyfts. Mm-hmm. And even even in the small town in which I live, a town of ten thousand, which is surrounded by cornfields, I have alternative transportation in in something like Lyft. Hmm. Well, it's been very, very informative. Is there anything else you'd like to to add? Well, I'd, I'd really like to reinforce that you know this this is a tough time of year, even for per- people not challenged with alcohol mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. alcohol or other drugs. And the thing that we are worst at talking 
talking to another human being is the thing that's going to save our bacon during this time of year or any other time of year. We need to begin to talk about the things that are bothering us rather than bottling them up. In my second book, Every Silver Lining Has a Cloud, I talk about the stressors that we continue to bottle up. And these are the things that percolate until we feel the stress so bad that we, the only thing we know that is going to bring us relief is having a drink. And, mm. and that's, that's what we've been trained to do. Well, if you're feeling stressed, take a drink. Just have, have a shot and relax or just get home from work and have a beer yeah, like that. It, it, it's so hard for me to relate to that because mm-hmm. if, I'm, if I'm under stress, I just go through it. But I don't take something to numb it, in other words. Exactly. Well, I, I just deal and, with it. That That is such a big key to recovery. It is one of the fundamentals of every treatment program or every treatment center in this country or on this planet is to have an alternative method of dealing with stress, whether it's meditation, whether it's uh, doing other Go things. Go for a long on, walk uh, or, or exercise. Mind or... and focus. Exactly. Uh-huh. Take your mind off mm-hmm. of stuff. Or, or talk, uh, talk to somebody, just like you were saying. You know, talk, Call up a friend, call up a family member, talk about it. That's exactly it. We've, we've lost that. Uh, so much know, of what we everybody. do today is impersonal. It's the texting, Snapchatting, uh, you That's name so it. Um, and if we sit down and just say, hey, look, honey, I, th- this is what's going on at, at work. And even if it seems trivial, um, I just had this, this conversation last night about having that opportunity to brain dump on the day and to process, you know, sometimes just hearing the words come out of your own mouth to another mm-hmm. human being mm-hmm. who cares about you exactly. is going to be so therapeutic and so cathartic that, you know, these, these stressors don't build up to the point where you feel that your only method is to self-medicate. And we really, especially during the holiday season, need to focus on the the thing that we that separates us from the rest of the mammals, and that's this great ability to communicate. Why the hell aren't we doing it? Let's get mm-hmm. out there and talk. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk mm-hmm. about the things we don't talk about. Get them off our chest. Get them out of our brain. That seven inches between your left ear and your right ear are going to be dangerous places the more you let stuff bottle up and build up inside. Yeah, I am. Um... At Thanksgiving, my brother texted me a picture, and there were four millennials sitting at a table at a restaurant having Thanksgiving dinner, <laughs> all on their, all staring down at their phones. They weren't talking to each other. They weren't looking at each other. They were on their phones. It, it kills me. <laughs> I, my my daughter is fourteen, going on twenty, and my son is eighteen. Um, he's he's away at college, and he, and I hope he's listening right now and taking a break from some of his studying. But you know that was the thing. Uh, lately, I, I take those two out to eat, and we're all sitting at the same table, and they're texting each other. Come on, guys! Uh, you know, this expensive Italian restaurant. I know. Capiche? But it, you know well, that's, that but, it's, see, that's what's worrisome. Because how are they going to find outlets for de-stressing? And and that's where we see a lot of the a lot of the teenage and early twenties and into the millennials. You, you see a lot of that challenge where it takes them three, four, ten times to a rehab facility or 
taking a, mm-hmm. a stab at uh, recovery because they they don't, they don't grasp have the idea that one-on-one, you're right, the one-on-one communication skill set isn't there. And it's... I, I love the technology that we've come up with. It is uh, oh, a I lot of waste time saving. It's, it's amazing. But it, it is... But in cases like this, it can really make a difference just to have that electronic thing put away and eyeball to eyeball and emotion to emotion have a conversation about the things we don't talk about. I've talked to several people who said when they were growing up, come home from school to talk to their mothers about what had happened that day. Mm -hmm. I wonder what goes on now. (laughs) Uh, Truly, yeah, they, as as I mean, I'm a mother, but I have a grown son. So, I mean, how, how, tell me, how exactly does that work now? <laughs> exactly. You have a 14 year old daughter. Uh, what happens when she gets home from school? Yeah, mom, where are you? Not A R E, but R, not U Y O U, but U. Mm-hmm. And then the response is. OMW on my way, and that's the boiled down conversation that takes place on Instagram or Twitter or uh, especially but does, 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 she talk, does she talk when she gets home? Yeah, you know that there, and therein lies the challenge. We, one of the things I'm an athletic director for a, a grade school here in my hometown. We just unified two schools and. Uh, the stuff we're putting these kids through, not just academically. Yeah, there are academic challenges, which uh, essentially haven't changed except for gotten, gotten more tech-savvy since I was a kid. But we're putting these kids through this class or this club and that club and uh, sports, sports, sports. And the, the idea of having a conversation at the dinner table, hell, we don't have dinner. We don't have dinner at a table unless it's got uh, <laughs> golden arches above. You know, the, these things <laughs> tragically, or you know, it's a sign yeah. of the times. I, I don't want to well, sound like a like, like the grump, like the grumpy old man yelling, "Get off my lawn!" You know, but these things <laughs> have happened to us, and uh, some of the roots, the fundamentals of family and communication have definitely eroded over time, whether it's the technology or the time, either way, uh, it's an erosion that we could, we could stand to, to fix and get back to some of the basics that, that made a family a family. Maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a big but, baby. But it, yeah, but it definitely, it definitely makes a difference in the, in the stuff we're talking about tonight, Denise. And that is, you know, does. looking at our, our drugs of choice and, and our relationship yeah. with these drugs. What causes problems is one. And if we're not doing anything about it other than self-prescribing, then uh, we're contributing to the problem rather than solving one. And I'm all about solutions. And I, and I know Thank you guys you. are too, your program. It's, it's really enlightening to be back on this program because I, I know that your, your yeah, message is such a healthy one. Yeah. I loved our conversation and, um, you know the 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 takeaway from all of this is you know be healthy be well and make sure that that happens you know no matter yeah. what you have to do to maintain that level of sobriety if that is happens to be mm-hmm. your issue please please do it <laughs> right so, and, thank you for that, and, Stevens. 
it is such an honor. Thank you, Denise. I, and I appreciate being back on here. And uh, definitely through social media, I've let uh, let the people who I'm fortunate enough to have following me know about your program. And uh, definitely, and let them anytime... know where they can get your where they can find your books. Sure. Um, my my new one, Look What Dragged the Cat In, and all of the other, uh, the four others, uh, What the Early Worm Gets, Every Silver Lining Has a Cloud, Adding fi- Fire to the Fuel, and uh, of course, I can't see the forest with all these damn trees in the way. They're all on Amazon, uh, but they're available everywhere where books are sold, whether you prefer Barnes & Noble or your corner bookstore. They still have those bricks-and-mortar places if it's not on the shelf. <laughs> If it's not Good. on the shelf, just ask for it, and they can order it at any time. I do. I, I say Amazon just because it's the the big yeah, big one <laughs> that everybody yeah. goes to these days. But um, and and I love to interact with the the readers, whether it's through email. My email address is on my my website. My website is alcohologist, which is alcohologist, just like biologist, but with alcohol in front of it alcohologist.com and uh, presence on Facebook as well. And and I I don't mind at all interacting and having conversations with people, especially if they don't think they're being listened to. And I guess uh, the parting shot in this, Denise, is if somebody has ever, ever said to you, I'm concerned about your drinking or I'm concerned about your drug use, it takes a hell of a lot of courage to get that statement out of their mouth. So please take it seriously. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yes, yes. Well, take care. And and I'm always willing to listen. So jump out and uh, reach out to me via my website, Alcohologist, or through Facebook. And uh, by all means, Anytime you want me on the program, I am game. Invite me along. I'm glad to do it. We will. We'll definitely have you back again. Thank thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you. I appreciate it, and I, I enjoy what I do. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. That wraps up our program for today. Please join us again next week. You know we always have wonderful guests. They impart the most amazing information, and it's all for you, all for your health and well-being. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have, and follow her on Twitter at healthmedianow and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? <laughs>